0: I am Jimbo Paris and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris show. Today we have Dave Turner. So Dave, can you kind of give me a brief summary of who you are, what you're about, and what your message is?
1: Well, okay. Yeah. I retired about four years ago. I had about it's been about thirty-five years and me and my wife started a company about 1980. We built residential homes and we also developed residential subdivisions. So that's what I did for a good chunk of my life. But uh, uh, after I retired, I've been uh, working on some writings. I wouldn't say that I'm an author because I'm, I'm not writing any books. I, I've written four blogs and I posted them on my website, and uh, which I hope to give, pass on here maybe later in the show. But... Um, but uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not like writing a book. I'm not got anything. I don't sell anything. I'm not trying to really accomplish anything on my own. Uh, basically, the the blogs are just to help people get information that I think can help them in a in a big way. That's
0: really cool. So, what sort of motivated you to kind of do what you wanted to do in life?
1: Um. You mean as far as the, the, the career in building and development or? Yes. Well, um, I, uh, you know, I was a carpenter uh, uh, before I got into building and uh, it just kind of worked out. I think there was a recession in about the 70s or some late 70s out there. Some Yeah, it was the late 70s. There was a pretty serious uh, recession and I couldn't get much of a job. And uh, so uh, uh, coming out of that, I I didn't have a job. I told my wife, I said, well, uh, why don't we sell our house? We just bought a house like three or four years ago and we'd had a couple of kids. So, you know, the house only had one bathroom. So the bathroom got pretty crowded (laughs) at times. Like, hey, daddy, I need to go, you know. And so I told her, why don't we sell our house and I'll build a house? And she said, no, no, you just go get you a job. Don't do that. She said, you don't know how to build a house. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out maybe. So anyway, I talked her into it and we sold her house. I went up the street and built my first house. I I didn't, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, i had been, you know, carpenter work, so I knew some things, but so we built that house that kind of created the opportunities for us to uh, build our first spec home. And so we we built it it wasn't a good plan. I'm lucky it sold, but we, we sold it, sold. And so then we built another one then we built two and then, and then we built three and <laughs> it just went on from there until like, you know, right before I retired a few years before I retired, we were, our company was building over a hundred houses per year. And along the way we started developing residential subdivisions. So I'd go out and buy a cow pasture, hire engineers, have an engineer, you know, I was a general contractor putting in all the infrastructure and, so we make a subdivision. I build all the houses in there. and It's pretty cool, though. You know, I, I, you, you drive through a subdivision, one subdivision where my daughter lives. There, there was about 80 houses in there. We built all of them. And so now you drive through there and you see people out mowing their grass and the kids playing in the yard. And you think, wow, this is cool. You know, I, I, I turned this from a cow pasture into this place where all these people can live. And, and this is their home is important to them. You know, it, it's, it means a lot to them. So that's pretty Cool. Be able to do that. I look back on. It and I think, well, I know God blessed our business in a really big way. I'd, I'd have to, you know, know that it it was God showing me what to build, helping me to find the plans that were successful. He just blessed it all the way through. And but real early on in life, when I was 22 years old, which uh, that's been a long time ago. I don't know if you could tell that or not. But uh, <laughs> actually, it's been about 48 years ago. OK. So, OK. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> that's like a whole lifetime. I mean, that's two life, two of your lifetimes ago. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, 48 years ago. So I'll save everybody from straining your brain. You know, I was 22 years old, uh, 48 years ago. So I'm 70 years old now. But when I was 22 years old, I, I experienced uh, an amazing change in my life that I didn't I didn't find. The way to make that change. Actually, what happened was, well, my life at that point wasn't wasn't going good. I mean, it was it was like kind of like a bad dream turned into a nightmare, and spent about seven years a hard partying. You know, doing drugs and alcohol. You're doing multi-day binges and parties, and and I'd really kind of made a disaster out of my life, but. uh, I really couldn't see how much danger I was in. Actually, I was in a lot of danger because, you know, I'd done some pretty serious damage to my mind and body through all that. But and that accumulated, or you know, I was about to find the end of me. Uh, But then I every continually as I was going along, things that could have brought an end to my life. Well, at any any one day, like I would get so drunk, I couldn't uh, couldn't really walk very good. But I'd get I'd say, oh, here's my car. Well, I thought I was like a NASCAR driver. That uh, yeah, I would get my car and take off. Yeah, run in the ditches. I was lucky; I didn't you know kill myself or somebody else. But what happened back then is that God came into my life by His Holy Spirit, and I didn't know that God was helping me at first. But He helped me to see what I was not able to see, like how much my life was being ruined and destroyed, and how far downhill my life had gone and how fast, how it was getting faster all I, I He helped me to see this. Well, when God helped me to see it, I freaked out, you know, like I, I suddenly acquired really strong and urgent desires to try to find some way to change my life. Cause I could see, Hey, I'm, I'm in a life threatening situation here. And so, I started looking around trying to find some way to change my life, and I really couldn't see any way. And, and it was that time I didn't know that God was leading me, but he was. So he gave me hope that I might be able to find some way like through the Bible that could help me change my life. But I'm um, I I didn't know anything about the Bible. I had never gone to church at all. And I didn't I didn't have much faith even in God. I mean, I, I, I believed that God might be real, but I didn't wasn't didn't have any sure feelings or solid feelings that he was. But anyway, that was the only hope I had. So I followed that hope. I started reading the Bible and uh, read two or three of the Gospels in the New Testament about Jesus. That was really cool. But then I got to a place where I could clearly see that this only hope I had wasn't going wasn't gonna to pan out. It wasn't going to produce anything because I just didn't have very much faith. I I'd be honest with you, uh, I didn't have enough faith to even pray to God because I felt like, look, I don't know if God's real or not for sure. And if I pray, then I'd kind of be pretending. And so at that stage of my life, because I was, uh, you know, I had these real, uh, felt like it was kind of like a life and death matter for me to find a way to change my life. I didn't want to pretend about anything. Well, okay, so it was at that time that God continued on to help me. And he helped me to see that what I needed to do, what I needed was to find some kind of proof of his reality. And I knew, well, if I can find some kind of proof, then that's going to help me have a lot greater faith. So this is, see, I didn't know God was leading me at that time, but he was leading me. And I ended up turning and started reading from the very beginning of the Bible, in the first of Genesis. So as a result of that, I was able to find actual solid proof of God's reality. I, I found it by reading in the Bible. And, uh, and this proof I'm speaking of, it, it, it's not like some weird floating out in the sky, metaphysical, blah, 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 that nobody can understand. This is a proof that's very down to earth. Uh, it's, it's very easy to understand. It's easy to see if you read what the Bible says. And you can see it. This proof is actually a very well-known nation that's existing right here in the world, right before everybody's eyes. And it is the nation of the the, in the 12th chapter of Genesis, the Bible records how almighty God came to a man named Abraham and God promised Abraham that he was going to make a great nation from his descendants. And he also promised that he was going to give a certain land to him and his descendants to be their possession like forever throughout like all eternity, which is pretty out there. So when I read that, I was able, with I believe God with God's help, I was able to see like, okay, if God is real, and if this, what he promised Abraham really did happen, then this nation would have to exist somewhere in the world today because he promised to give a certain land to Abraham and his descendants or to this nation he promised to create forever. So that, I mean, you know, that doesn't take rocket science to figure out, like, okay, if this really happened and this nation has to be, here in the world it has to be one of the nations here in the world. So I was able to see that with God's help. So at that time, since, hey, you know, I knew that, you know, my only hope was to to find proof of God. And so I, I thought, well, hey. What I need to do is to find out if this nation actually does exist. And I got pretty excited about that because I thought, hey, there's only so many nations in the world. They've all got a history of their origin. So I should be able to find out if this nation actually does exist. So I kept on reading. And I was, as I kept on reading, I mean, that was, I was all about that. man. I was all very focused on trying to find out some kind of information that could point me to, to show me if this nation actually does exist. So then I read all the way over to chapter 35. It's in chapter 12 that God made his promises to Abraham, but I went all the way over to chapter 35, and I hadn't yet found anything that revealed to me what this nation was, but in the chapter 35 of Genesis, it tells how Almighty God came to Abraham's grandson. His name was Jacob. Okay? He changed his name. He changed his name. He said, okay, your name is Jacob, but from now on, your name is going to be Israel. And I can't explain what happened. I mean, it wasn't a matter of me like you using my human reasoning or thinking. It, what, what happened was almighty God just revealed to me by his supernatural powers right then in that moment that the nation of Israel in the world today is the nation that he created from Abraham's descendants like he promised he was going to do. Here the nation is right before us. It, it gets its name, obviously, from the new name that God gave to Abraham's grandson, the man that he promised to make a nation from his descendants. Well, I mean, at that point, I didn't know how all that had happened. The Bible goes ahead and tells in very great detail how God made it happen. Uh, You know, all the I mean, he did so many miraculous works, including some breathtaking miracles, some of the greatest miracles that are recorded in the Bible. At that time, I didn't know any of that. But The way I experienced a great awakening in my life, right, in that moment of time, because God has supernatural power just to reveal things to people. He can help people see things they just can't see on their own. He can make things very real to people. Well, that's what happened to me, and and it caused me to be, like, interested on turbo to keep on reading in the Bible. So I, you know, I read on, and, and I was just, I'm so amazed. I was so amazed back then. I've continued so amazed. At all the detail, all the things that God did to make make the nation of Israel come into existence. I mean, the Bible tells specifically how God created the nation of Israel from the family of Abraham's grandson, to whom He gave the name of Israel. To, I mean, He, he worked some. He did some great miraculous things so that the family of Israel could move down and relocate into the land of Egypt. I mean, He. He controlled the forces of nature for 14 years. He did. It's one of the most interesting reads that you'll ever read in your life to read how this all happened. But God orchestrated, made it happen, so the family of Israel was able to move down the land of Egypt. There were 70 people in his family. The Bible even gives the names of his sons and his grandsons that moved down to Egypt. Well, as God had, had, had foretold to Abraham, Israel, the fam- his descendants were, were stayed in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And it was during that time that God miraculously multiplied them and they became the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel was birthed uh, when God orchestrated them to move down in the land of Egypt. Of course, I know, I'm sure about everybody's probably seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, where God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He sent Moses back to Egypt. There he worked these 10, sent 10 great plagues that, that, you know, kind of brought Egypt and the Pharaoh of Egypt to, to their knees. And they let the people go. And Moses led them out of Egypt. They, they traveled through the desert for, uh, you know, quite a long time. Uh, during the time, you know, God brought them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He led them on, worked all kinds of miracles all along the way. But eventually Moses led these people to the land that God had originally promised Abraham. And he, you know, they were led into the land they 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 had to fight the people in the in the land but God was with them he helped them win all their battles so they took the land and but one interesting thing is when Moses led the people to this land before they entered in in uh the book of numbers uh, uh chapter 34 verse 1 Moses gave the legal or the geographic boundaries of this land that they were going to take and but he used like natural points like he used the mediterranean sea as the west boundary he used the jordan river as the eastern boundary okay there's only this if you look at on a map and you see look at what lies between the jordan river and the mediterranean sea you'll see that it is the nation of israel that's there's only one place in the world that's between the jordan river the jordan river runs from the sea of galilee all the way down to the dead sea or the salt sea all the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea is the land of Israel. Wow. Uh, <laughs> what did you say, Jesus? Hey, I'm sorry, man. I just turned into a chatty Kathy when I get to talking about this because it's so exciting. Oh, no, I'm not, it's very interesting. We didn't know about that last part. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, go on, go on. I, I'm so excited
1: about this because here, here's why. You know, uh, you know God... He's given us life. He is the giver of life. He's the creator of everything. But the life that me and you have and everybody that's ever been born in this world, that life comes from God because God created human beings along with everything, other all the other forms of life. But now along the way, he has chosen and decided to give people everlasting life for all eternity, for a period of time that, that never has an end. But in order to receive that life, which, you know, everlasting life is more valuable and more important than, than anything in existence. It's more important than all the wealth in the world. But to, in order to receive that, you must believe that God is real and you, you must have faith in God. Uh, like Ephesians two eight, it says, for you're saved by grace, through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift from God. So, OK, here's the deal. Whenever I make, found this great discovery, I want to tell everybody I didn't find and make the discovery by thinking or reasoning anything on my own. It was almighty God that helped me all along the way, all along the way. And so I, I don't want somebody to, to think that I think I'm some kind of brainiac or something. I didn't do anything. To be honest with you. I didn't do anything. I was led. Uh, but. When I made this great discovery, like I said a while ago, a great awakening came into my life. A a very powerful awareness of God's reality came into my life because I knew, hey, I started out trying to find proof of God's reality. Well, then when I found out how the nation of Israel is proof, I mean, I realized I found I have found proof and I found much greater proof than I'd ever hoped or expected to find. I didn't expect to find a whole nation here in the world that is the nation that God created exclusively by his mighty supernatural powers. Well, here's here's why I'm so excited about this because God did this to help me. I know that he did this to help me, but I believe he also did it to use what he did in my life to help me to help other people. So I think that God, well, even here on this program, the Holy Spirit of God will will reveal to people, he will help them to see and make this great discovery. And he'll bring this great awakening into their life. And that's what I'm most excited about. Hey, listen, I'm not that interesting a person. I mean, I just babble on, blah, blah, blah. But but I'm, I'm super excited about God, the Holy Spirit of God coming and doing this work in people's life to help them to see that the nation of Israel, it's right here before our eyes, existing here in the world, really is solid proof of God's reality. There is, I mean, there is many irrefutable proofs that the Bible provides that the nation of Israel is the nation that God created from Abraham's descendants. And if we have time, I'll I'll, I'll share some of these proofs with you. Uh, I mean, uh, but uh, I'm excited about people. I, I mean, I'm out to help people. I'm not really trying to accomplish anything for myself. Hey, I I had a long successful career. And I don't really need anything, not trying to get anything for myself. I'm just I'm just excited about helping people make this great discovery and finding life.
0: (laughs) You know. So when that truth was first unveiled to you, like what kind of did that sort of lead to the other truths? And if you could get into that too, that's fine as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I became super excited because, about, because suddenly I just I experienced this great awakening. I could see that, wow, the nation of Israel, it is the nation that God created from Abraham's descendants. I was able to see God is real because I could see he really did what he promised Abraham is was going to do. So I was real eager to go ahead and read on in the Bible. And like I say, you, you know, the next six books in the Bible are all about all the great things God did. Six whole books because he did things over a period of several hundred years to make all this happen, but, you know, and when I read all those things, and I, I got to tell you, man, if you read, you, you sh- everybody should turn and read this in Bible, just turn and start reading in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and read on, your mouth will drop open, because a lot of the things that God did are a whole lot like a soap opera, I mean, God, he made it happen, so one of Israel's son, Israel being Abraham's grandson, one of his sons named Joseph, uh, happened to be Israel's favorite son. So this made his brothers really not like him. They didn't, They, I mean, they couldn't say anything good about him. So they hated him because he got all attention. And, and, you know, but then Joseph had this dream, okay? He had the dream about how his brothers were going to come and bow down before him like he was a great king. <laughs> okay, so Joseph, he was excited about this dream because he, I think Joseph knew this dream's from God. Okay, so he thought, hey, I'm gonna go tell my brothers about this dream. Well, his brothers already hated him. So he goes and tells his brothers this dream he had about how they were gonna come and bow down before him like he was a king. Okay, so I don't need to tell you what happened. I mean, his brothers went from hating him to actually wanting to kill him. Okay, so no, really. so. His brothers, they were shepherds. They had to stay out in the field, stay out there at night, watch the flock. Okay, so Israel sent Joseph out to check on his brothers. I'm sure he probably sent some treats and all that good stuff out with him. So, But when they saw him coming, they started talking about how they could kill him. No, for real. And when he came up there, they grabbed him, threw him in a pit, and they were talking about how that they, they were just going to kill him. Were, he had this special coat that his his father had given to him. Yeah, so they decide, hey, we're going to kill him. We'll take some of his blood, put on his coat. We'll rip it all apart, put some blood on it. We'll take this back to our father and say, hey, we found this out in the field. Is this? Do you think this is Joseph's coat? Well, that's that's pretty cruel. <laughs> that's pretty cruel. But but here's what happened. It's amazing. While they were standing around talking about this, they looked up and here's this caravan of camels coming by. They were traders that were going to go down to the land of Egypt. So one of the brothers come up with this idea. They said, hey, I've got a great idea. Why don't we sell Joseph to this this caravan of traders? He'll get he'll be taken down to Egypt. He'll be resold as a slave and he will be out of our hair forever. And look, we get money for this and and we can go to town and buy some wine and have a party and, you know, uh, and celebrate being getting rid of this guy. And that he said, and they said, "Well, the, the good thing about this too is we won't have to kill our own brother and have his blood on our hands, have the guilt." So all these brothers like, "Yeah, this is a like a win-win-win idea." So that's exactly what they did. They, they, but they did take Joseph's coat, put like probably the blood of a lamb on it or something, and, and they took it back to their father and told him, "Hey, we found this out in the field." And so his 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 dad, got, you know about died just out of grief. But but anyway, so Joseph was taken down into Egypt. He's resold as a slave there. But here okay, here's where the soap opera comes in. A guy named Ponifer bought Joseph. And everything worked great. I mean he, everything he did his work it worked great. So Ponifer put him in control of, of his house, his his servants, his business, everything. But Ponipher's wife, she got Very interested in Joseph, (laughs) okay, personally interested, and every day she was coming at him like, hey, come and lie with me, and uh, she must have been like a hormonal thing or something, I don't know, but uh, she she would try to talk him into this every day, and he's like, no, no, not that, you know, that would be horrible to do to the you know my you know the guy that your your husband and then, and I bought Joseph probably said well, I'm I'm follow of God I believe in God I'm not going to do that well so one day when everybody was out of the house joseph had to come in the house to get something okay puffer's wife's in here she went and physically grabbed a hold of him and was trying to drag him come and lie with me come <laughs> so anyway the only way that joseph could uh get away with her from her was to slip out of his garments that she had his outer garment of some kind of cloak that he she had a hold of so he slipped out of that and run out of the house well okay so this I told you this was like a soap opera okay <laughs> you didn't know that God was the creator of the soap operas too right but but apparently he is uh, but anyway so she, the, Joseph run out of the house when so that infuriated uh Palmer's wife. And because, you know, she'd been totally rejected. I mean, she was throwing herself at this guy. He totally rejected her. And and plus she probably figures, hey, this just isn't gonna happen. You know, I'm trying to drag the guy. He's not doing so this ain't she was she was furious and angry. So she come up with this idea and so she screamed as loud as she could. And here all the servants come running in the house to see what's wrong. When they come in there she's holding Joseph clothes. She said Joseph come in here, nobody was around, and he he tried to he, he tried assault me. He tried to take advantage of me. And when I screamed, he, he run out. And here's his coat. So, yeah. So when Poniver got home, you know, she continued with her big lie, and he was furious, so he threw Joseph into prison. And so, but this, the, the amazing thing about this, this is all was the plan of God. God was orchestrating all this to happen. Because when Joseph was in prison, uh, two of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's servant, was also in prison. Joseph was assigned to take care of these people. Okay, so one night, both of these servants had a very powerful dream. The next day, they were really down because they'd had this dream. They knew this dream was something important about their life, but nobody could tell them what it meant. They were in prison here. So Joseph saw that they were really down. He said, hey, dude, what what, what's, what are you so down about? And they told him, well, we had these dreams and we, don't, we know they're super important, but we don't know what they mean. And he said, well, hey, God can reveal people to people what their dreams are. So why don't you tell me the dreams and maybe God will reveal to you what the dreams are. So they told Joseph his dreams and the dreams were about what was going to happen in each man's life in three days time. And in three, and Joseph told him this. He told the one of the the servants of Pharaoh was his cupbearer, which means uh, he he brings Pharaoh everything he wants to drink: wine, juice, water, blah, blah. blah. So he told the cupbearer, "Okay, in three days' time, you're going to be restored to your position to Pharaoh. You're going to you're going to take up his service." Okay, so the baker. Uh, said he thought, well, well, this is all good. You know, he got a good, he got a good interpretation. So he told him his dreams and Joseph like look, I'm sorry, dude, but, but you're, you're in three days time, you're going to be executed. You're going to be hanged on a tree. And that's what Joseph told these two men is exactly what happened. Okay. So, but this, this, this uh, is all planned by God. So because two years later, the Pharaoh of Egypt had two dreams in the same night. They were two dreams, they were different, but they meant the same thing. And Pharaoh was really troubled the next day because he knew, hey, these dreams are something really important about my life and about maybe the nation of Egypt. So he he got all these wise people, these counselors, nobody could tell him what the dreams meant. And so that's when the cupbearer that had been released from prison that Joseph had interpreted his, he stepped up to Pharaoh and said, Hey, sorry about this. I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I've got some shortcomings here. But there's a young Hebrew slave in prison that can tell people, interpret dreams. He said, when we were in prison, me and your other servant, the baker, we both had a dream. He told us exactly what the dreams meant and what he told us. It happened exactly the way he said. So Pharaoh like, all right, bring him up out of prison. So they cleaned Joseph up, brought him before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Uh, this was two years after uh, Joseph had told the, the Pharaoh's servants Pharaoh service what his dreams meant. So Joseph was brought in, and he said to Joseph, "Hey, I hear that you can interpret people's dreams." And Joseph said, "No, I, I don't. I, I can't. I don't have that ability." But he said, "I serve a God that that will give Pharaoh the answer to his dreams." So Pharaoh told Joseph his dreams. And then Joseph told Pharaoh, he said, your dreams, your two dreams are one. They're one in the same. They mean the same thing. And Joseph explained to to Pharaoh that God has given these dreams to Pharaoh to show him what he's about ready to do. Something real important he's about ready to do. So the dreams were about that there was going to come seven good years for all the crops uh, produced in abundance. And that would be followed by seven bad years where the crops totally fail. The seven bad years was going to bring a very severe famine into the whole world, to the land of Egypt, through the whole world. And and Joseph told Pharaoh that God has given you two dreams to confirm that this is really going to happen. So Joseph told Pharaoh, said, hey, what you need to do is find some wise person and and appoint him to gather up food during the seven good years and store it up. So when the seven bad years come, there'll be food for everybody. So the Pharaoh said, well, hey, (laughs) who can I find better than you? You do this. So it's an amazing thing that Joseph was brought up out of prison and he was made to be like the governor of the land of Egypt. I mean, the only person more powerful than him was Pharaoh himself. And so Joseph did exactly that. He gathered up food. Uh, I mean, during the seven good years. He stored up a huge amount of food. Okay, so then the seven bad years came and uh there was a great famine. Okay, so his brothers that lived up where the land of Israel is now, they had to come all the way down to Egypt to get food and grain for to survive. Okay, what what did they do? When they come down to Egypt, listen, Joseph was like a like the king, like the Pharaoh. He when he rode around in a chair, everybody bowed down. I mean, they bowed down to the dirt. And and so I mean, Joseph brothers knew this. When you come in before this guy, you you put your face on the ground. So that's exactly what they did. They come in before Pharaoh, they or for Joseph. They did not know that this was their brother. He was, I'm sure, he was dressed up with the headpiece and the the golden necklace and Egyptian. He probably had on Egyptian makeup. They didn't know this was his brother. It repeated
0: brother. itself. I was seeing um his vision before it repeated itself.
1: Yeah, this was several years. After now, I know God gave Joseph that dream, and it, why the Bible don't say that, but I know that He did because it was about what actually happened several years later, and it was an, an important part of what God did. And also, it shows that because God knew this was going to happen, He knew everything that was going to happen. It was all His plan. So anyway, Joseph brothers came in, they bowed down before Joseph, end up giving him some food. Well. Joseph kind of played around with him; he really did, and that's the fun part of reading this. He, he you know, he, he said, "No, you, you guys are a bunch of spies. you come down to spy. You're trying, you know." And he really gave him some hard times, but eventually he told he revealed to him in, in a very emotional way that that I'm your brother, and and so they were reunited, and and then. Joseph, he he had such great favor in the land. He'd saved everybody's lives. He'd saved Pharaoh's life. So he wanted to bring his family, told Pharaoh, I want to bring my family down to Egypt so I take care of them. And Pharaoh was like, all in, like, yeah, yeah. Here, I'm going to give you wagons. You take these wagons and so your, your elderly father and your little ones can ride. So they were he welcomed them to come down the land of Egypt. They were given the best place in Egypt, the land of Goshen there. It's a real a fertile place where the Nile River runs in, in into the sea. And so they moved to the land of Egypt. Like I said earlier, there were 70 people in Israel's family when God did all this to bring them into the land of Egypt. And in the very beginning, when, when God made these promises to Abraham, he said to Abraham, he said, know this, your descendants will be held in a land where they're strangers for 400 years. And at the end of that time, I will bring them out of that land. He said, I'm going to send, uh, you know, judgment upon the people that's holding them, I'll bring them out of that land and I'll lead them back to the land that uh, I promised to you. And folks, listen, this is something that's really happened. All of this really happened. The The nation of Israel is this nation and it is proof of God. Listen, it, it almighty God is the creator. The Bible is totally real. Uh, all the things that's written in the Bible that happened that God did to to create the nation of Israel, as He had promised to Abraham, it all really happened. The nation of Israel is right here in the world today, proving that it happened. And I know some people might say, like, "Oh, well, uh, maybe just some people come along and they thought Israel was a cool name, so they just called themselves Israel." Uh, but the Bible proves in so many ways. I mean, the Bible, like I said before, it it, it tells how God specifically created the nation of Israel from the family of Abraham's grandson, whom he given the name of Israel to. But there are so many different kind of proofs. I mean, when, Ab- when God brought Abraham into that land in the first beginning, uh, it, the, the Bible names the places that Abraham came to. He, he came and he lived in. He was a shepherd. He had to move around because he so his flocks for have fresh grass. But he came and played to, first to a place called Shechem and then to a place called Bethel. If you go to Israel today and you go up to a, a tour guide, you say, hey, can you take me to a place called Shechem or a place called Bethel? He said he will say, get in my van. I'll take you there. That's in Israel. The Bible tells how uh, Abraham lived for a while in a, in, a, in a city called Hebron or near Hebron. Hebron's a city in Israel today. Uh, Abraham bought a field there that had a cave in, it, and that's where he buried his wife, Sarah, for many of where Abraham's buried, and many of his relatives. Okay. He lived in a place called Beersheba. Beersheba is a city in the nation of Israel. It's the, it's the seventh largest city in Israel. It's the second largest city in land size. So these places that Abraham, the Bible tells that Abraham came and visited and lived in, they're all in the land of Israel. This proves that the land of Israel is the land that God gave to Abraham. There's, um, of course, Moses given the, the the geographical boundaries that also proves it. But um, here's another proof: the the people of Israel uh, every year for centuries they keep the day of Passover. The day of Passover is probably their most important holy day that they observe. it's it's, it's more it's as important as Christmas is to us. Okay, the day of Passover started when God sent the 10th plague, the last and the most severe plague against the Egyptians. He'd done all these things, this disastrous thing, but Pharaoh had continued to resist and not give in and let the people go. So unfortunately, God had to send this last severe plague. He took the life of the firstborn of every family throughout the land of Egypt. They all died in one night. and But he saved the children of Israel and he, told, he instructed Moses, tell the people to go kill a lamb, take its blood and paint the blood around the door doors of their house. And when death passes through the land, it, it will pass over their house and they'll be saved. So, you know, the, um, the people of Israel were saved. So after that happened, Moses told them, okay, so from now on forever, you celebrate each year this day as a holy day because God saved your firstborn, and that's what the day of Passover is about. And this has happened since the time—I mean, it was about approximately fifteen hundred years BC when this happened, when when the day of when the Passover, when, when when the people had this Passover, when they painted this blood around their door. That was about fifteen hundred years before Jesus was. OK, Moses told him, to keep this day as a holiday to celebrate, observe it. Ever since that time, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, whatever you call them, have kept this every year. OK, in 70 AD, the prophet named Ezekiel had prophesied that the nation of Israel would be defeated and they'd be exiled into all the different parts of the world. That happened in 70 AD. Romans came in, their armies came in, they killed a half a million people in the streets of Jerusalem. The people of Israel had to flee into all parts of the world. Get this, they were in exile for almost 1900 years, 1,876 years to be exact. And at, at the end of that time period, the Almighty God spoke to people, the, the people of Israel, as they were living in all the different countries of the world. And he spoke to their hearts and they moved back to the land and it became a nation in 1948. All during those centuries, everywhere they lived, no matter what country they lived in, they kept the Passover every year. And this is is proof (laughs) that these people, they are the descendants of the people that Moses led out of the land of Egypt. The people, Abraham was the very first person to ever be called a Hebrew in the Bible. And his descendants are referred to as Hebrew 18 times total in the Old Testament. Much of that is during a the time they lived there in the land of Egypt. When God sent Moses in before Pharaoh, he said, here's what you say to Pharaoh. You say the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go free. So it's not a coincidence that Hebrew is the official national language in the land of Israel today. If you drive around Israel and you see a, a, a sign, a directional sign, it's in Hebrew. It's the official language and these people, it's not a coincidence, they, they are Hebrew. That's their language. And they're, they're Hebrew because Abraham was Hebrew and the people in the Bible that lived in Egypt were referred to as Hebrew. Uh, you know it's hard to keep track of things when they happen over such a great period of time. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, but but the nation of Israel is the nation that God really created from Abraham's descendants, as He promised He was going to do. The nation of Israel, uh, you know, God promised that He was going to give this land to Abraham his descendants forever. Well, guess what? They're living in this land today. They're occupying it, and uh, it, it's it's like a Miracle. I mean, it is a miracle that the people were able to become a nation again. They, when they become a nation, five uh, Palestinian countries declared war on. It, it, it was a miracle that they survived. But they did because Almighty God wanted them to survive. But here's something that's beyond amazing, just beyond amazing. The Bible tells us how that at the end of this age, it tells us everything's going to happen. It's going to go to one world government system. Antichrist is going to come and rule that. But at the very end, God gave a, a prophecy to um, his, his prophet named John. John happened to be one of Jesus original 12 disciples. John was the disciple that when Jesus was hanging on a cross, he turned his mother over to in John's care. And he told John to take care of his mother, uh, this explains why that God trusted John so much to give him this great prophecy. It's about the prophecies about what's going to happen from now until the world comes to an end as it is. And at the end of his prophecy, John saw a vision of this holy city coming down out of heaven, down to this earth. And it's called the new Jerusalem. And the Bible gives a lot of details about that city It actually gives the measurements of that city and you can figure it out just with a simple calculator if you figure out the measurements of that city you're going to come up to about 1400 miles square okay that's a little bit bigger than half the united states so it's a pretty big city <laughs> it's it's uh it, the bible says it'll have streets of gold it'll have the tree of life there uh, planted in it. It'll have a great wall that goes all the way around the perimeter of that city, which is 5,600 miles. Okay, so this city, it, it says that there's 12 gates in this city that are made out of one piece of pearl. Okay, on, on those gates are inscribed the names of Israel's son. He had 12 sons. On those gates are their names inscribed. And This is a pretty strong, something pretty strong from God to say this city belongs to Abraham's descendants. It's got their names of the 12 tribes of Israel written on the gates, the 12 gates of the city. But remember what God promised to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants as an everlasting possession. Okay, so when this world comes to an end the way it is now, It's not going to come to an end. It's just going to come to an end the way it is now. But when when this world comes to an end and this holy city comes down, God's going to bring his people into that city. And Abraham and some of his descendants, not all of them, but some of his descendants, many of them maybe, are going to be brought into that city. Okay, God's already given this land to Abraham forever. So when God brings Abraham into this city, to join all the Gentile people, all of his other chosen people, then Abraham will live in this city forever. So God then will fulfill his eternal promise to Abraham to give this land to them forever because this city is called the New Jerusalem. It's going to be where Jerusalem is now. It's in the land. So the land of Israel, in other words, will be the location of God's eternal promised land. Heaven's not going to be up where God is now. Does a book of Revelation tell that this city is gonna come down and it tells specifically that God's gonna bring his throne and the throne of Jesus into that city and he's gonna bring all of his people into that city for etern- to live in him, dwell with him forever. It says that the glory of God will light up that city so that there won't need to be even any light from the sun. It's just the glory of God's gonna light up that city. And this is interesting that it says that when John saw this, uh, it says that uh, before this happens, before the city comes down, that John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and earth had passed away. And he said, there was no more seas. So before God brings it, so, okay, well, this is good news. We don't have to bite our fingernails quite as much about global warming And ruining our planet. God's got a fix. He's got a fix for this. It's a it's an eternal fix. So God's just gonna make He's just gonna do it all over. He's just gonna wipe out everything that man has made that I think, in his opinion, mars the natural beauty of his creation. I can't see anything that beautiful about a cell phone tower or a parking lot. So God's just gonna get away, he's gonna do away with all this stuff. And you know, it's kind of disappointed to me because I love the deep sea fish. So when I read that, that there's uh, not going to be any more seas, I'm going, oh, man. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I know that God's going to make something infinitely greater than what we can imagine. But, you know, it's I know this is all like beyond a fairy tale to a lot of people. It's reality to me, but it's to, to think that. God's going to recreate the heavens. Hey, he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, like the Bible says. So he can do it again. But but to, to think of that and that there's going to be this city that's more beautiful and amazing and glorious than what anybody could ever imagine, that's actually going to be real, it's going to come down. And God's going to bring his people uh, into that city and give them everlasting life. That's beyond dreams. It's beyond fairy tales. It's beyond our imagination. But the thing is, it's going to really happen just like God created the nation of Israel and we can see proof of it. God is going to fulfill all of his promises to Abraham, which includes bringing him into this holy city to, to live with him forever. It's so amazing. I guess that's why I turned into a chatty catty talking about it. You <laughs> know, you have to excuse me for that. You know, it's just. Uh, it's
0: funny. You know, you mentioned God having a plan for Joseph. Do you think God has a plan for everyone else as well?
1: You know, there's things in the Bible that, that it's just beyond our standing. Like, like Jesus said to Peter, like when Jesus was arrested, and obviously, I mean, he was almost beat to death there. And so Peter, Peter followed along. He went to where Jesus was in the house and all this. And so before that, Jesus had told Peter, hey, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And Jesus, and Peter said, no, no. And and he said, no, this can't happen. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. Okay, so Peter loved Jesus a lot. That's the last thing on the whole planet Earth that Peter would have ever wanted to happen. But what Jesus spoke to Peter, it happened. and. So that brings us to the the question: How is God? How was Jesus able to know? It? How how was God able to say that to Peter, and then it actually happened? How how was God able to give to Joseph a dream about his brothers coming and bow down before him, and when that happened several years after that? You know, there's so many places in the Bible where God has foretold to people um, what's going to happen. I mean. And so it, it, it brings us to question like, OK, obviously, in these people's lives, like in Peter's lives and God knew what was going to happen. I mean, when he when Joseph told these servants of Pharaoh what was going to happen to him in three days time, obviously, God knew what was going to happen. The only way God, I think, in my simple little head, the only way God can know what's going to happen is if he actually planned what's going to happen and has the power to make it happen. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. So, I mean, I don't really have an answer to your question, but it appears that at least in some people's lives, God has power to know what's going to happen. He has power to plan what's going to happen. To what degree, I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> One more question, and we're going to go and start and look at your uh, website because we're moving up on time here. But, uh, how do you think other people can kind of... Understand what they need to do because you got into building and you kind of moved into this area of life that you love. How do you think other people could understand that as well? Should they also read the Bible? What should their view be?
1: Well, I I think of the Bible as the book of life because if we read the Bible, we're able to get faith. Like I read the Bible and I made the great discovery how the nation of Israel is proof of God's real end, which that, that brought, brought an explosion of faith into my life. Okay. So that faith is what made it possible for me to believe that everything that's written about God is real and true. I mean, when I read all of this, that's written in the Bible. How about how God created the nation of Israel? Then I was able to realize all of this really happened. It's all real. So it brought me to a place where I was able to believe absolutely everything written in the Bible is real. And well, That brought me to the place where I had to face the the not so great reality that God has given me my life. He is the creator. He's created life, as the Bible says. He's given me my life. Well, then I realized, well, then he's given me this whole world as a place to exist. We couldn't exist unless this earth was here, unless the sun was here. So I realized God has given all of this to me, but I have not been thankful at all. I've not said thankful to God even one time. I mean, I realized God's not even on the list of being important to me, and that's how I treated God. So I realized, well, this is not good. But at the same time, I realized that, okay, God has definitely given laws, and I've broken all 50 commandments. <laughs> just kidding, but I realized, okay, there's a serious penalty for breaking God's laws. It's death. And... So I realized, well, I'm facing a very serious punishment here because I've broken God's laws. Okay, well, God, like He'd been making everything real, He made that real to me. And I was totally freaked out. I, I was overwhelmed with fear. And so that's when I cried out to God. I didn't I didn't have a lot of faith to believe that God really would come and help me, <laughs> but He did. And when I cried out to God, God came immediately. Okay, at that point, I didn't understand what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross. I knew I, I'd read the gospel, so I knew he did die on the cross. I knew he hadn't done anything wrong, but I didn't know what he accomplished. When I cried out to God, I knew that, hey, I'm on my way to this place of eternal punishment. I didn't understand what Jesus accomplished. But when I cried out to God in just a moment of time, God came and by his supernatural power, he revealed to me, This is why Jesus died on the cross. He took all the punishment and all the penalty that I deserve and that you deserve and everybody on this planet deserve. He took it upon himself. And because he had not done anything wrong, he successfully made the way that God can set people free from this punishment that's placed upon them if they'll just believe and have faith in what Jesus did. So that's what I did. I mean, but God did this by his supernatural power. I didn't reason it out. I didn't have no way. I mean, when I cried out to God for help, for help, I, I was scared out of my skull. When you, when I, I knew I'm facing a life threatening situation, when you're in that position, you don't think about anything except what you're facing. And so I wasn't thinking about Jesus at all. But when I cried out to God for help, immediately. God came and helped me and he helped me understand that Jesus, when he died on a cross, he made a way that I could be set free from that punishment because he took that punishment upon himself. This is the most important thing any human being can ever come to see or understand because it's having faith in Jesus can make the way so that you can receive the salvation that he provided God had planned to make this great way of salvation and he brought his only son into the world, sacrificed his life to make this way. And this is the cool thing about it is because, you know, uh, it's a rare, it's, it's just the greatest privilege and opportunity that I could ever even dream of to be able to tell people about the proof of God and help people see how the nation of Israel is proof of God because it helps them to have faith in God. It helps, this, helps them to see his reality And and this is what makes it possible for people to have faith. What makes it possible for people to receive this great gift from God? So I just encourage everybody, hey, just, uh, you know, I'd like to encourage you. You know, we only have so much time here. I've done the best I can to tell you about the nation of Israel. But I've got a writing. One of the writings on my website is all about, well, there's there's only four blogs on that website and there's one of the blogs is about the nation of Israel how the nation of Israel's is living proof of God's reality. And so that's just a lot more detail about what we're talking about tonight. I would encourage people to read it. My testimony is on there. It's just called Finding God. That's goes in a lot more detail about all the all the awesome things that God did in my life to help me find and receive salvation which is life. Yeah. And so there's there's another writing on there about a message from God that every person in every church urgently needs to read. It's a message that God actually spoke word for word to me, and, and he's appointed me to bring out to churches and people. <laughs> and this is hilarious. I mean, I was probably the least likely person anybody would ever thought they would even see holding a bible in their hands let alone going to church man. so God just does everything kind of upside down and inside out I mean he kind of uh, uses kind of crazy foolish things to confound the people who kind of think they're wise and stuff there's a scripture that says that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the, the wise And uh, but anyway that's what he's doing big time right here but yeah it, I would encourage people. I, I don't have. I'm not trying to sell anything there. I'm just trying to provide information that that, that uh, I think can help people find the most the most important and valuable thing that's in existence: life.
0: do you have any
1: other contacts, social media, anyone
0: else can reach out to know more about? Yeah. Do you have any uh, contacts or social media anyone can use to reach out to you?
1: Well, there is a contact on that website up at the top. It just says contact. So if they will click on that, they can send me an email. I'll, I'll receive an email, uh, right. and I'll I'd I'll be happy. I I'll, I'll, I'll get back with you if if you just like read some of this and you say, man, I'm still a little confused. Could you help me out with something? I'd be happy to help you. You yeah, know, that's uh, that's kind of what I'm here for. So, but but yeah. Any questions or any help you need, just get in touch. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you putting up with me, uh, being a, doing a chatty Kathy thing, you know. But excellent. yeah, no, really, I, I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's it's a great privilege for me. I'm I'm excited about maybe God helping somebody. I'm I'm you know not too excited about me or what I have to say or or how I say it. I just kind of fumble and stumble around, but. I hope God perfect. can I hope God Great. can use use what we talked about.
0: All right. Well I'm Jimbo Paris and this is the Jimbo Paris show. Thank you again, Dave.
1: Maybe again sometime.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to the Jimbo Paris show.